turn back uh, to James chapter 2. And what I'll do is I'll read the second section, because that's our focus tonight. So James chapter 2, and I'll read again um, just these short verses from verse 8 down to verse 13. From verse 8 down to verse 13. So this is God's word. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so I'm sure we all know the feeling. We are sitting at home and we're chilling out in front of the TV. And we are watching an episode of a TV series. And it's getting to that really kind of interesting point. It's getting to the, you know, the the climax of the storyline. And we're wondering how is this going to be resolved? And then what happens? The screen cuts out. And the screen goes Black And three words appear on the TV. What are the words? To be continued. To be continued. And if I'm honest, I guess that's what we should have tried to do last week. I don't know how we would have done it logistically. We would have got a black screen in here and had the words to be continued written on it. Because you see, what we're looking at tonight is very much a continuation of where we were last Sunday evening. Now, were you at church last Sunday night, were you? Well, if you were, you'll recall the subject we looked at. Last Sunday night, if you weren't here, we looked at the subject of favoritism, sort of partiality, favoritism. Well, in this section, the one I've just read from 8 to 13... James continues that. This is a continuation of that theme. Now, last week, what he said was that favoritism should be avoided because it goes against God's values. And this week, what he says is that favoritism must be avoided because it breaks or it violates what he calls the royal law. The royal law. So, let's delve into this. And let's see what God has to say to us tonight in his word. 
And we're going to have three points this evening, and I'm going to read out those three points just now. So these are the three points. God willing, we'll see point one, understanding the law. Understanding the law. Point two, breaking the law. And then point three, living the law. Understanding the law, breaking the law, and living the law. Okay, so let's get cracking. Point one, understanding the law. So if um, you and I, if we want to understand this portion of scripture that we've got in front of us, what we've got to get to grips with is the foundation or the, the basis of James's argument here. And the basis of it is this expression. The expression royal law. Because James calls the command, love your neighbor as yourself. He calls that, he terms it, the royal law. So why does he do that? What has James got in view there? Why is he speaking about something called the royal law? What's going on? Well, I think really there could be a couple of things going on. See, James could be referring to the Old Testament usage of that command. Have you got your Bibles open? If you do, then you'll see there's a reference at the foot of the page in the NIV. It's probably in the Pew Bible. Because the NIV points out that that command, love your neighbor as yourself, that's found in the Old Testament. Do you see where it's found? It's found in is it Leviticus 19.18. So, James could be referring back to Leviticus. But that doesn't really, that doesn't answer some questions. That doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Because that wouldn't explain why he terms it royal. You know, why is James calling this a royal law? There's got to be more to it than just the Old Testament usage, doesn't there? Well, as always, now we've seen this before, and we'll see it again. As always, when we're reading James, what we've got to remember that what we've got to remember is everything that he says, everything in this letter is saturated, is absolutely soaked with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that is definitely the case with this royal law. Because what he's talking about when he talks of the royal law, is that episode in the Gospels. This will test your memory and your, your, your scriptural knowledge. You remember the, the episode in the Gospels when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and he's asked what the most important laws were. Do you remember that? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, he replied, firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's fine. What did he go on to say? Well, he added this. He said, the second most important law is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. So do you see what's happening? Do you see what James is doing here. He doesn't just have uh, that Levitical law in view. No, he's got the fact that James 
has taken, sorry, Jesus has taken that Levitical law. He's taken it. Not only has Jesus fulfilled that law, but Jesus has also ascribed a certain importance to this law. Jesus has taken that Levitical command and he's kind of infused it with a certain degree of dignity. And that, friends, that is why James calls this the royal law. It's not just an Old Testament command he's thinking about here. It is a law that has been appropriated by the king. That is why it's a royal law. Okay. So that's why he calls it the royal law. But I, I guess that's, that's only part of the battle, isn't it? Because now we have to understand what is involved in the law. You see, what does James say about the law in verse 8? Do you see it? He says effectively that to do right as Christians, we've got to obey this law. To do right as Christians, we've got to adhere to this command, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it involve to love your neighbor as yourself? What does that involve? Well, you know, to be honest, we could be here till 11 o'clock tonight if, if you know, want for example, examine this in any proper way. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I think in this context here, in James, there's certainly one crucial element that we've got to see here. You see, this is a command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a command about your neighbor. Now, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Well, again, we've got to go back to Jesus. He makes that clear in um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't he? You know, somebody goes up to Jesus and asks him very ex- explicitly, Lord, who is my neighbor? And what does Jesus do? He tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. He tells the guy that his neighbor is anyone. And everyone that he comes into contact with. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone in our lives. So, our neighbor's everyone. But what are we told to do to our neighbor? What does James say? What's the command about? Well, we're to love them. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? We are to be people of love. We are to love Everyone in our lives, and not just that. Look at the high, incredibly high standard that Jesus expects from you. You're not just to love people. You are to love people as yourself. You know, you are to treat people in your life as you treat yourself. You know, you're supposed to feed people and clothe people as you provide for yourself. You're supposed to you're supposed to forgive people for their indiscretions as easily as you forgive yourself. It's an incredibly high standard. And remember the crucial thing. Remember what the law's called? What's it called? 
It's a royal law. It is a royal law because this love for our neighbor has a special place in the heart of Jesus Christ. It is a royal law, so it must be taken especially seriously by the subjects of the king. Friends, what a wonderful witness for the gospel it would be if when people look in on your life, they see a person who for and in the name of Jesus Christ is loving their neighbor and loving them as themselves. So point one here is understanding the law. Understanding the law. Okay, let's move on. Let's think about a second thing. Let's think about breaking the law. Okay, so my, my father-in-law was... Um, he was driving... I'm a bit funny with the details, but he was driving across Scotland. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Inverness to Glasgow, I think it was. Driving along and... There was this little chip from the road, flew up, and it hit his windscreen. It was a tiniest little chip, and it made the tiniest little mark on the windscreen. But he knew straight away that because of where it hit, just in his line of vision, that he knew that even though it was a tiny little crack, he knew that the windscreen was a write-off. He knew that that would fail the MOT. It was a tiny little crack in the windscreen, but it rendered the whole windscreen broken. And I know it's going to sound strange, but I want you to take that image and store it away just for a moment or two. Remember the image of that windscreen. That windscreen with a tiny little crack, but rendered completely broken. Okay, back to James. Right, we've wrestled with this this command, this royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. We get it, it's essential and it's important. But there's a question, surely, that you're asking. There's a question about it I'm asking. Why is it here? And does it not seem slightly out of place? You know, we're, this is a section, quite an extended section, about favoritism. So why does the royal law appear here? Well, the reason that James brings up this royal law, the law of the king, is to show how it relates to partiality, to show how this royal law relates to our discrimination. That's why it's in the section. Now, are you with me? You know, are, are you following James's logic here? You know, he's saying, if we love people, some people more than others, because of some silly superficial reason, then we are breaking a command that says that we must love and we must love everyone. You see it? It's a simple Simple logic here is straightforward. If we discriminate against people, then we're breaking this command, this 
beautiful command that summarizes Jesus' ethical teaching. And what's interesting, I don't know if I can even say that. I find it interesting. You might find this incredibly boring. But what's interesting, as a side note, is that there's another place in Scripture where this happens. There's another place in Scripture where this royal law sits next to a command about favoritism. Okay? So we've seen this command, love your neighbor as yourself, that appears in Leviticus 19. Just listen to this. Listen to the command that is issued three verses before that. It says, Leviticus 19.15, do not show partiality to the poor. Do not show favoritism to the great. And then three verses later, but love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it is amazingly clear scriptural teaching, isn't it? If we discriminate against people, then of course we're not loving people as we should. And then James makes a bold statement. He says, if we do that, we become, what's the term he uses? Lawbreakers. He calls us lawbreakers if we do that. Now, when you were a kid, did you have an imaginary friend? Did you? Some of you might still have imaginary friends for, for all I know. I hope not. But that's kind of almost what's going on here. It's James is having an imaginary verbal spat, an imaginary argument with a, with a Pharisee or a, a teacher of the law here. Because what he does is he seems to anticipate an objection to what he's saying here, isn't he? You know, he, he calls us lawbreakers. He uses that term, lawbreakers, if we show favoritism. And then he, he anticipates the objection that that's too harsh, you know? He anticipates the, the objection that, that people are going to say, well, that, no, that's not fair. You know, all we're doing is showing favoritism to somebody based on, you know, maybe the fact that they, they look good or that they look like they've got money. We can't be called lawbreakers. All we've done is show favoritism. You can't tell us, James, that because of that we've broken the whole law. But James... He anticipates that argument, and that brings us back to the motorway. That brings us back to my father-in-law. Because you see, there was one tiny, tiny little crack in the windscreen. But the whole windscreen was rendered broken. And that is what James is saying here about the law. You see, folks, sometimes we think that if we commit a specific sin, 
then we have broken a specific command. That's what we think, isn't it? Let's say you stole something. Then we think, oh well, if I've done that, I've broken the eighth commandment. Or, if I show favoritism to somebody, then what have I done? I've broken the command that says, do not show favoritism. But James is saying, no way. He's saying, guys, that's not how this works at all. He says, when we sin, we don't break one command. When we sin, we break the whole law. Look what he says in verse 10. Whoever stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all the law. And I would say to you tonight, if you're not a Christian in this room this evening, then do you see the importance of that for how you stand before God? Do you see what that means for your stand before God? You see, what, what tends to happen, we looked at this this morning, but what tends to happen is that we think, because of our sin, that we're okay. We think, well, we haven't done anything that bad in our life, you know. It's not like I'm a murderer or anything. So when the time comes when I die, then God is surely just going to say, well, he wasn't that bad. Murderer. We think we'll be okay. Well, look what James says here. He says that if we break any command, he says that if we sin even once, then we break the whole law. If we sin just once, we stand before God with the status of a lawbreaker. You see, the law reflects the character of the law giver. The law reflects the character of the law giver. So when you sin, don't think of it as just breaking one single command. When you sin, realize that you cause offense to the character of God. Friends, I hope we see why favoritism is a terrible thing. But I tell you, if you're not a Christian tonight, I really hope that you see how dreadful and how dangerous sin is. Okay, we've seen understanding the law. We've seen what the, the, the royal law demands that we don't show favoritism. We've seen breaking the law. Let's conclude, let's end with living the law. Understanding the law, breaking the law, living the law. Okay, so sometimes when you're watching a program like um, Grand Designs, or a program like Grand Designs, what you tend to get is you tend to get two things, don't you? You tend to get a couple with a great and fantastic architectural idea, 
and you get a plot of land somewhere. <coughs> but before they can begin, before the couple, and whatever the guy's name is who does grand designs, his name escapes me, but, but before they make a start, what they have to do sometimes is they have to address the house that currently exists on that, or currently sits on that plot of land. Now, sometimes what they'll be able to do is they'll be able to make alterations to that house and incorporate it into their grand design. But sometimes their design calls for something much more radical, doesn't it? Sometimes what they have to do is call in the JCBs and pretty much demolish the house that existed on that plot. Well, that's really what James is calling for at the end of this section. Okay? Because in verses 12 and 13, James issues a battle cry. James issues a, a clarion call. A call for a kind of radical and holistic and all-embracing change in our lives. Now, how do we know that that's what he's saying? How do we know that James is calling for dramatic change? Well, do you see what he says in verse 12? If your Bible's open, have a look at verse 12. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. Speak and act. That's kind of similar to what we know as a merism. Have you heard that? A merism, a merism, a pair of words that express totality. Speak and act. You know, it encompasses everything about us and everything we say, James calls for. In everything we do, James calls for, let there be change. And he gives us two motivations for change. He gives us two reasons why we should change. Number one, he says we should change, folks. We should throw away favoritism because we will face judgment. Now, did that surprise you when Paul was reading it out earlier on? Were you surprised to hear the language of judgment in this section. You know, you're a Christian. Are you, are you a believer, professing Christian? Do you see yourself or do you think of yourself as being one who will face a judgment? Are you going to be judged? Or do you think, well, Andy, I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm not going to face judgment. Well, friends, the truth is that we are going to face judgment. We are. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are in Christ, then you have tattooed on your heart, you know, the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But you're still going to be judged. You're going to be judged according to your works. And, you know, we, we hear all the time, you know, if you mention the book of James, <clears throat> people always say, oh, James and the Apostle Paul, 
they were always against each other. They were always sort of contradicting each other. Well, not here. Not ever. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he goes on and says, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. You see, remember what we said three weeks ago. We looked at who James was writing to. James is writing to Christians. He's writing to Jewish Christians, and he tells them that they are going to be judged. Friends, we have to throw away favoritism. And the motivation James gives us is because we are going to face judgment. But secondly, and this is the last thing tonight, we should change. We should throw away favoritism because of mercy. Mercy. Do you see that's how that's how he ends? It's in some ways so perplexing, isn't it? Why is James talking? Why does he end this section talking about Mercy is like the royal law. It seems to just appear out of nowhere, doesn't it? Why mercy? Well, James mentions mercy at the end here. Because, folks, mercy is the very opposite of favoritism. Mercy is the antithesis of favoritism, isn't it? You know, in favoritism, what do we do? We see the poor and we see the needy person and we turn away from them and we show somebody else our attention. But what do we do in mercy? In mercy, we see the poor person, we see the needy person and we actively reach out and embrace them. Mercy is the opposite of favoritism. Now, friends, God, God has shown us incredible mercy, has he not? What mercy he has shown us. Such mercy that he labelled his own son a lawbreaker. He labelled his own son a criminal. And because of that mercy, surely we have all the more joyous reason to live in obedience to the royal law. So, tonight... I ask you, let's knock down that dilapidated old house of favoritism, okay? And in its place, in its stead, and in Jesus Christ, let's build a new house. Let's build a house of mercy. Let's pray.